Testament. This is Genesis chapter 18. The Lord appeared to Abraham by the oaks of Mamre as he sat at the entrance of his tent in the heat of the day. He looked up and he saw three men standing near him. When he saw them, he ran from the tent entrance to meet them and bowed down to the ground. He said, my Lord, if I find favor with you, do not pass by your servant. Let a little water be brought and wash your feet and rest yourselves under the tree. Let me bring a little bread that you may refresh yourselves. And after that, you may pass on since you have come to your servant. So they said, do as you have said. And Abraham hastened into the tent to Sarah and said, make ready quickly three measures of choice flour, knead it and make cakes. Abraham ran to the herd and took a calf, tender and good, and gave it to the servant who hastened to prepare it. Then he took curds and milk and the calf that he had prepared and set it before them. And he stood by them under the tree while they ate. They said to him, where is your wife, Sarah? And he said, there in the tent. Then one said, I will surely return to you in due season and your wife, Sarah, shall have a son. And Sarah was listening at the tent entrance behind him. Now Abraham and Sarah were old, advanced in age. It had ceased to be with Sarah after the manner of women. So Sarah laughed to herself, saying, After I have grown old and my husband is old, shall I have pleasure? The Lord said to Abraham, Why did Sarah laugh? And say, Shall I indeed bear a child now that I am old? Is anything too wonderful for the Lord? At the set time, I will return to you in due season, and Sarah shall have a son. But Sarah denied, saying, I did not laugh, for she was afraid. He said, oh yes, you did laugh. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. O oh Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable in thy sight this morning. Amen. I am deeply grateful to be able to worship with you this morning. Like many of you, I regularly read the Bible and study and pray. But this isn't really an academic exercise for me, even though I did go to seminary. This is more of a personal curiosity. How do the words I read in scripture impact the way that I live my life? Preaching is one way to start a dialogue about what God's word means to each of us right now in this particular place at this particular time. So thank you for the opportunity to dive into the text this morning. 
In keeping with the tradition of many guest preachers, I'm beginning today's sermon with a personal story that relates to today's Bible story. I hope by sharing a bit about my life, you'll find it easier to imagine how today's scripture applies to your life. I am a Southern girl. I was born in Virginia and raised here in Atlanta and schooled in North Carolina. My junior year at Wake Forest, I had a friend who suggested a blind date for me. Patty's primary reason for matching us up was that we looked like brother and sister. Maybe not what I would put on my dating profile. But it was enough to convince me in 1986, so I waited by the phone for a call from Billy. And when he did reach me on the phone, the one that everyone on the third floor shared that was attached to the wall and had the really long cord, I could tell from the first phrase that he spoke that he could not be my brother. How you doing? He asked with a wicked good Rhode Island accent. He was from a foreign land, the North. But he was charming. So I took a chance and we set up a date for the weekend. And that following Friday, much to my surprise, that northerner walked all the way up to the third floor of Bostock dorm and knocked politely on my door to take me to dinner. He was cute and he smiled warmly and we walked downstairs and he opened the building door for me. And as we walked into the parking lot, he gave me the after you hand motion. And as we approached his car, he walked around to my side and opened up the door. And I thought, Jody, I don't know what you were thinking. This northerner, this Rhode Island guy, he's very polite. He has good manners. He's even opening your car door. And then Billy proceeded to hip check me out of the way, slide in my side, go over to behind the steering wheel and look at me. And I must have had a really puzzled look on my face because he leaned up and said, oh, yeah, my door's broken. I have to go in through your side and slide over. Let's go get some pasta. But despite that rough start, I still had hope. And love was in the air before dessert was served. So that's the story how this southerner met her northern husband. But my couple's origin story is striking in that it has almost nothing to do with the story of Abraham and Sarah. Abraham and Sarah's road to marriage did not involve love language or polite niceties, much less pasta with clam sauce. In biblical times, love before marriage was not the common story. Young women were paired with men. Marriages were practical. A marriage formed a union between two families. A marriage provided an apprentice for the family business, someone that could be taught. And marriage created babies 
to bolster the family line. In biblical times, marriages happened at a much earlier age. There was no waiting until you graduated or until you had enough for a down payment on an apartment or until you'd dated enough people to settle down. In 2023, we hope people wait until they're grown up to get married. Thousands of years ago, a teenager was a grown-up. And a pregnant teenager was always good news, something families prayed for. It was a sign of future prosperity, a furthering of the bloodline, another set of helping hands. Abram and Sarai, before they are renamed Abraham and Sarah by God, are married in Genesis chapter 11, and their love story is no Netflix romance. The text simply states, Abram took a wife. It's not a love poem. It's a record of a transaction. And then, now Sarai was barren. She had no child. According to biblical genealogy, this couple marries about 300 years after the Great Flood, after Noah saw the rainbow and parked the ark, and his family began to repopulate the earth, starting from scratch. Now, 300 years later, Abram and Sarai, two of the few people that are alive on earth, have no children no one to carry on their bloodline. And then, three times before today's scripture reading in Genesis 18, God makes a promise to Abram. God says, Abram will have as many descendants as there are stars in the sky. God promises this in chapter 12 and again in chapter 15, and again in chapter 17, there is a reason for Abraham to have hope for a future family. But here's the thing. Nowhere in the text does it say that Abraham told Sarah about God's promise. Have you ever asked a guy what he and his friends talked about for the five hours they were playing golf? The typical answer in my world is, I don't know, Joe, not much. Sometimes, sometimes, men are not the very best communicators. And even if Abraham did tell Sarah about what God said to him, Sarah did not hear from God. She did not learn about this audacious, life-changing promise with her own two ears. So to sum up, Sarah got married. She did not have a child. Year after year passed. Scripture doesn't tell us she received words of hope from Abraham, and certainly not words of promise from God. And she grew older and older, 
and surely she must have wondered. In a world where bearing sons was a woman's only way to be valued, her only way to be remembered, how she would live a life that mattered. In the 300th year after the Great Flood, Sarah did not have the opportunity to say, launch an arts career or start a school. She couldn't write the great novel or become a titan of business. She had only one single way to define her worth, have a child. Scripture is also silent on Sarah's relationships beyond her marriage to Abraham. Did she enjoy her siblings? Did she laugh and cry with the women in her tribe? Genesis only tells us of one relationship between Sarah and another woman, an acrimonious relationship with Hagar, who was the unwilling other woman in Abraham's life, the mother of Ishmael. Scripture is silent about any richness in Sarah's life. As far as we know, Sarah was silent as well. Until she laughs. When Sarah hears at age 65, the same age as Oprah Winfrey and Michelle Pfeiffer are right now, when Sarah hears that she will bear a child, oh yeah, she laughs. When you read this story, when I just read it to you, what kind of laugh did you imagine that Sarah gave? Is it a laugh of, of great joy and amazement? Like a, a Disney princess? who would ask herself, after I have grown old and my husband has grown old, shall I have pleasure? Or is it a laugh that, if put into words, would say, yeah, right. After I have grown old and my husband has grown old, shall I have pleasure? Scripture doesn't say, and Sarah rolled her eyes, but that's what I imagine. Ha! A laugh like that contains so much. A dose of disbelief, a touch of bitterness, a great deal of pain, perhaps some shock, and maybe, just maybe, maybe, a teeny, tiny hint of faith. Without that inkling of faith, Sarah would have just stayed silent. She would have been emotionless, despondent, completely flat. But there's something there, a tiny bit of faith, so Sarah laughs. How much faith? Not enough faith to admit her hopes out loud, of course. Professing faith in something against which all the odds are stacked means, at the very least, you could lose face. It could be very embarrassing. And there's also the very real danger 
that if you admit to having faith and the promise does not come true, it might very well destroy you. If you want something, if society will only value you unless you do that one single thing and it doesn't happen year after year, you would have to find a way to protect yourself. Each disappointing year, you would pull out the mortar and add another layer of bricks, carefully constructing a wall around your heart. Because all of that wanting makes your heart tender and fragile. And if you don't build that impenetrable wall around it, it could be broken by the smallest assault of another dashed hope. Up to this point in scripture, Sarah's life has happened to her. She has not been in charge of her own destiny. None of her verbs belong to her. Someone else took her as a wife. Someone else said it was time to move to a new land. Someone else talked to the strangers and told her to prepare the food. She had been a body that does as it's told. And then, in verse 9, the Lord says to Abraham, where is your wife, Sarah? Even though she hasn't greeted the strangers, she's been out of sight, working behind the scenes, these three individuals, this trinity known as the Lord, asks for her by name. Where is your wife, Sarah? This is the first time Sarah knows the Lord acknowledges her existence. Up until now, she's had no say in her marriage, in her location, in her relationships, and certainly not in her reproductive hopes. But now suddenly, Sarah knows that the Lord, her God, is aware of her. That she, Sarah, just as she is, is worthy of being named by God. She gets her first glimpse, perhaps in her entire lifetime, that she matters. Close your eyes for a moment, will you? Imagine human beings in this world who have never in their whole lives believed that they are worthy of being named by God. An enslaved person toiling in an African mine. A prisoner in North Korea. A woman living under Taliban rule. A street child in India. Keeping your eyes closed, bring your mind to our corner of the world. Imagine the newly arrived refugee in Clarkston. The gay teen banished by his family. The man with mental illness wandering down Claremont Road. The young woman 
afraid to express her true self, terrified of rejection or even violence. You may open your eyes again. Last month, Juneteenth celebrated the release of enslaved people here in this country, and a seminary friend of mine, Joella Darby, posted her photo on Facebook. She was wearing a t-shirt that said, free-ish. And that sounds about right. For until we are all free, none of us are free. And the truth is, there are many, many people in this world, in our world, still living lives without hope, without knowing that they matter. Some of those people are living among us. In fact, to some degree or another, some of those people are worshiping with us this morning, perhaps sitting in a pew near you. God speaks Sarah's name acknowledging she matters in God's eyes, and that perhaps is the ultimate blessing. Because it awakens something inside Sarah that she thought was long dead. Sarah begins to feel that small tickle of hope. Faith, the assurance of things hoped for, begins to take hold of her. Where does the Bible say that? Speak of Sarah's faith? Sarah's faith isn't stated in so many words. Her faith lies between the verses. For me, Sarah's laugh is the most powerful piece of this whole story. Not the visit from the Lord, not the generous hospitality, not even the promise the Lord makes to Abraham. Because without Sarah's laugh, without her participation, without her tremendous courage to say, ha, and question God's power, and then yield to the sheer power of God's promise, you and I would not be sitting here. For we are the offspring that number as many as the stars in the sky. And because Sarah was called by name, by our God, she had the courage to laugh at the audacity of God's promise. Because she quietly hoped and had faith that was only present between the verses in this story, we are here today. Sarah's choice to participate in God's promise is her witness to us today. Miriam and Mary proclaim their faith in poetic verses in Scripture. But there's no Sarah's soliloquy in Genesis. Yet our very existence today is possible because Sarah said yes to God's word for her, for her family, and yes, all of these thousands of years later, for us. And so now, in 2023, it's up to us, fellow Christians, to inspire that participation in God's promise in all whom we meet. 
if you share with someone that God calls them by name, God loves them unconditionally, perhaps your witness will tap a hope, a faith that has been buried so deeply inside of them, they didn't even know it existed. For someone in this season of summer, find someone who needs to hear that they matter. They matter to an all-powerful, all-knowing, all-loving God. The same ancient God of Sarah is their God, too. And at this very moment, their God, the Lord, is right now walking up to their gate, hoping to be invited in, wanting to call them, yes, them, by name. Amen.